Good morning, everyone. Great to see you guys today. You know, as a kid, when I went anywhere where there was a large body of still water, whether it was a lake or a pond, I couldn't resist doing at least two things. One, skipping rocks across the surface. How many of you ever did that, right? I'd count how many skips I could make. And also throwing in the biggest rock I could find into the water and watching the ripple effects go out from where the rock splashed. Throwing a rock on this side created a small wave, disturbing the water on the other side of the lake or pond, and that was so cool to me. When we threw in a large rock or a branch here, I created movement, change, disturbance over there. And if a frog or a bird was sitting on a small branch or a log and the ripple effect that I created caused that frog to jump, or that bird to fly away, man, it didn't get much better than that, you know. Did I mention I spent a lot of time alone as a kid? Okay. On the 26th of December, 2004, 7.58 a.m., a major earthquake with a magnitude of over 9.0 struck off the west coast of northern Sumatra, Indonesia. The energy released was more than 1,500 Hiroshima atomic bombs. Effects were felt over 3,000 miles away, killing a minimum of 230,000 people. The violence occurred hundreds of miles away from the epicenter of the earthquake. Once that much energy is released under the water, the effects cannot be stopped. Once a disturbance over there happens, the disturbance over here is simply a matter of time. Although the violent disturbance happened in a confined area, the effects get larger and larger like concentric circles as it moves outward. What's my point? Everything is connected, even us. We are intricately connected. Ripple effects go out with every act, some positive, some negative, every act of love and kindness, every generous act and every moment of compassion, every unwise decision, every sinful choice. Nothing we do remains locked inside our worlds with only us feeling the effects. It doesn't work that way. We are all interconnected. The walls of our houses and work environments do not stop the negative energy released within them from escaping. Let me make it real clear. I cannot lie, cheat, and manipulate. I cannot make unwise, hurtful decisions and stop it from impacting you. What happens here eventually reaches there. And what happens there eventually reaches here. It's impossible to keep them separate. That's one of the lies that we have swallowed in our society. We are told over and over again that what we do in the privacy of our own homes doesn't bother anyone. We are promised what we do behind closed doors, whether that's a bedroom or a boardroom, isn't anyone else's business. It's not true. Everything you do affects me. And everything I do affects you. We're interconnected. 
I know we are a merciless society trying to persuade us that we are independent, autonomous, we are our own leader, and we can do whatever we want to do as long as we don't hurt anyone else. Actually, that's absurd. I, I can't feed an addiction, carry on destructive secrets, engage in behaviors rotting my soul, and keep the effect to myself. For instance, very small illustration. If, if I choose to treat Lana in an impatient, unhelpful, and dismissive way, and as a result, she feels defeated when she walks out the door to go to work in the morning, because she's distracted and thinking through how I talked to her before she left, she accidentally cut someone off in traffic. The almost accident ticks the driver off. He blows his horn, gives my wife the finger, and speeds off. Fifteen minutes later, he's pulled over and given a speeding ticket, which when his wife finds out is extremely upset because that's his third ticket this year, which results in a fighting match between that couple sending out ripple effects. My wife is now so upset when she arrives at school, she interacts with one of the students slightly off from her normal kind and positive self. This bothers the student so much, he says something unkind to another student, which is the last straw for the other student had had an argument with her father that morning about her boyfriend. They exchange some words and they get into a shoving match and both receive discipline from the school administration. When the student gets home, with a note from the school, she's grounded from all activities for one week, and in turn, it causes her to miss an opportunity at work that would have led to a huge promotion, which on and on it goes. The disturbance in my home atmosphere set off a chain of events that I no longer control. And each of those events are doing the same throughout the earth all the time, and we don't even know anything about them. So, Back to the illustration, my wife comes home that evening and asks, I ask her, hey, how, how was your day? To which she replied, it's been better. And I say something to the effect, well, I'm sorry about this morning. I, I should not have been so short with you. And we go about our evening ignorant about the chain of events that I started that I no longer can control in all the other families' lives. What am I getting at? I'm opening your mind to the way life works. I'm helping you see what we do matters. Not only within our own lives, but within the lives of every person. My poor character affects you in a thousand different ways. My lies wash over you. My selfishness impacts your family. My greed hurts everybody. Violence in Chicago impacts Camden. Lies in D.C. send out ripple effects influencing the small towns in Indiana. Adultery in your family negatively impacts every marriage in our community. My addiction holds you in bondage. See, th this is why we have difficulty getting past our pasts. The ripple effects, the waves, the current, the disturbance washes over you five years later, 10 years removed, 
The sins of your father and grandfather yesterday continues their ripple effect into generations, and the voices connected to your past get super loud in your head, especially when you see some of the ripple effects in your life and the life of your kids or your spouse or your finances, and you feel as if you just cannot turn them down. That's why some of you have struggles with church. Because when you're in church, you're required to get quiet and think about your life. And when you're quiet, your past begins to haunt you. The waves of guilt wash over you. The rolling waves of if-onlys make us seasick. The constant battering of regrets make us wonder if we're coming apart on the inside. The violence we created or someone else created yesterday creates a tsunami in our lives today. And here's, here's where the voices from our past really begin to haunt us. You take a look at your spouse knowing what you did through the affair, and it bothers you deeply. You take a look at your kids knowing they remember how you acted when you were angry. You think about how much money you waste on that addiction. You wonder what you could have accomplished if you were not in so much credit card debt. Can I be brutally honest with you this morning? Our past never disappears. It's always there. What we did, we did. The people we slept with, the drugs we took, the opportunities we missed, the arguments we had, the words we spoke, the people we betrayed, time does not erase our pasts. Yes, we create new experiences, we meet new people, we form new memories, but the past happened and the effects are real. It's why every decision, every decision, every decision, major and minor, is important. The decisions you make today, the people you befriend today, the places you go today create your tomorrow, and they will send out ripple effects that will affect people that you don't even understand. You've never met them. You don't know them, and eventually those ripple effects will come back across your life. So what kind of tomorrow do you want to experience because you're creating or you're destroying the tomorrow you dream by the today you live? All right, let's get down to business. One, two. How do I turn down the voices for my past? Now, before we get to a few specific things, I want to address a common misconception, especially within church, when you start talking about how do you get past your past. I've heard several sermons about moving past your past, getting over your past, etc. In fact, I've preached a few of them over the years, and most are good and helpful and encouraging. And at the core of a lot of those sermons, at the core of a lot of those teachings on getting past your past is an emphasis on God's forgiveness. I've preached that. I've taught that. I've walked through Scripture and emphasized the importance of being forgiven by God. One of the Scriptures we're going to see now that I'll come back to in a little bit is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, after Paul gives a whole list of pretty rough sins, pretty tough things. He says, that is what some of you used to be. But you were washed clean. You were made holy to God, and you were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So that's encouragement. 
He's been, you've been forgiven, you've been washed, you've been made new. Then I go to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and it's very clear that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So no matter what your past was like, now that you're in Christ, you're cleansed, you're washed, you're made new, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I've preached some amazing sermons on that, if I've got to say so myself. <laughs> and all of that's true, absolutely true, and you'll hear me talk about it again. It's helpful, it's encouraging. But I want to get as practical as I possibly can today and help you kind of in the nitty-gritty of life and figure out how you move past those haunting voices because I think that we expect too much from God's forgiveness. What I mean is we may be placing an undue burden on our past being forgiven by God. Let me explain it this way. God's forgiveness addresses your relationship with God, the vertical damage that you caused. But it doesn't fully and adequately address your relationship with people, the horizontal damage that we've caused. So what happens sometimes is we go to God and we say, God, I've hurt people, I've lied, I've cheated, I've done things I shouldn't do. God, forgive me, and God, of course, washes and cleanses and makes you new. His mercies are new every morning. You can never out God's grace. We've preached that. We believe that. We hold firm to that. The prodigal son, all the things he's done wrong, he came home, he was washed, he was cleansed, he was forgiven. That is true. You cannot out God. You cannot outrun God's love and mercy and grace. All of that is absolutely true. But what we do sometimes is we say, God, forgive me. He does all the time. And then we assume that's enough. And then we move on but it doesn't take care of a lot of the emotional damage we've done, the horizontal damage we've done with other people. And the ripple effects continue to go out and wash back across us, and we see all that happening, and it haunts us and it bothers us. So you understand this. God's forgiveness is not the same as people's forgiveness. And they do not carry the same benefit. Listen to me very carefully. God will forgive what people do not. God will restore what people cannot. And you might be forgiven and restored by God and at the same time unforgiven and disbarred by people for at least two reasons. People are not God. Don't expect them to be God. They don't see you like God sees you. They don't love you the way God loves you. They don't have the ability the way God has the ability to do those things. And also, forgiveness and trust are not the same. And expecting people who forgave you to trust you again is naive. So there's a lot more work to do when we deal with our past than just come before God and say, God, forgive me. He does. But if we stop there and not move forward and really deal with some of the damaging effects of our past, the voices in our head are going to get louder and louder, and we're not going to be able to turn them down. So merely reminding you that you are forgiven by God does not solve the problem. Although God has forgiven you, your wife hasn't. Now, I'm not saying she hasn't. I'm saying that's very possible. Although God has forgiven you, your wife might not. Although God has removed your sins as far as the east is from your west, from the west, your husband hasn't. 
Although God throws your sins into the sea of forgetfulness, your ex-best friend still remembers everything you did. Am, am I, are, are you real people? Like, am I talking to real people today? Okay. So people are not God, and forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. So if you remember from part one, I said, I know you remember everything I said last week, but if you remember from part one, I said the voices in your head often do not tell you the truth. Often they lie. When it comes to your past, here are three lies that you will often hear. And I want to kind of eradicate, dissolve, thin out these lies. Here's the first one. I am my past. That's a lie. You are not your past. Your past happened. You cannot erase your past. You cannot dissolve your past. You cannot change your past. But you are not your past. Now let's return back to that scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. After Paul lists several sins that destroys people, he proclaims, this is what some of you used to be. Very important that you hang on that. You used to be these things, but you were washed clean. You were made holy to God, and you were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. So we got a lot of used to be people at Forest Park. I used to be this. I used to be that. I used to think this way. I used to act that way. That is my past. So Paul does not discount our past. He acknowledges our past happened. In fact, you used to act like this. You used to think this way. You used to be like this. You used to do a lot of things. But that was your past. It is not who you are today. So you hold on to that truth. Couple that with Philippians 3.13. Paul says, I do this one thing. I forget about the things that are behind me and reach out for the things ahead of me. Now, listen, this is, hopefully this will really encourage you, okay? You might think that these are merely positive statements Paul is making to encourage people. In other words, Paul is saying, you know, well, you used to be like that, but you no longer are. And, you know, let's forget about all the bad things we did in the past. Let's kind of move toward the future. This is not Paul just throwing out some positive, encouraging statements. You need to reflect on the reality that Paul himself experienced. Paul struggled with the haunting voices of his past. He did not just flippantly say, I forget about the things behind me. Listen, listen. For those of you who may not be familiar with Paul's life, Paul was responsible for stamping out the new fast-growing religion referred to as the way. He was re responsible for stamping out what eventually became Christianity. And at the beginning, Paul was a committed enemy of Christianity. If you remember, Paul was present and gave his consent to the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in history. And stoning was gruesome. In fact, you may not know how they actually stone people. Here's one way. There's actually several different ways. This is a common way. They would take the person who was considered, who was, uh, considered guilty, who was condemned to be stoned. They would take him or her 
to a place twice the height of that person. So if they were roughly six feet tall, they would go up to about a 12-foot place and they would throw the person down off of it onto a, a, a rock place. And the reason that they would do that is in some instances it would kill the person, but mainly it was to lame the person so the person couldn't run away. So they'd throw the person off and if it didn't kill them, they would lay there, broke ankle, broke leg, knee, whatever, couldn't run away. The accusers would then take a large rock and they would throw it onto the person's chest. If that did not kill them, then they would take up orange tangerine and orange-sized rocks and they would hurl it until the person was dead. It would take 20 minutes in some occasions. It has taken up to two hours and other occasions. Paul not only witnessed that, he encouraged it. Can you imagine carrying on your conscience the deaths of people you encourage to be killed? You know Paul wrestled with the memory of Stephen's death and the deaths of other people as well. I imagine at night in those quiet moments, he could still hear the thudding sounds of rocks pelting Stephen and others. He could see the blood, the broken teeth, the swollen eyes, the dead bodies. So Paul knew what he was talking about when he said, forgetting what is behind. So here's the reality. What you did in your past, you did. You cannot go back and erase it. You cannot go back and change it. You did what you did. Whether your past was last week or it was last year or it was 10 years ago, you cannot change it. It's impossible. But we are not our past. Our past are only a part of what we did. Yes, some decisions were stupid. They were foolish. And we may continue to feel the consequences of those decisions, but we are not our past. And we must continuously, constantly resist the dark, cold vortex attempting to convince you that we are our yesterdays, for we are not. The second lie that we got to deal with is I'll repeat my past. Now, here's where I want to get raw. And I want to get as honest with you as I possibly can. Although I can confidently say you are not your past, I cannot say with confidence whether you will repeat the decisions of your past. Because you might. Actually, I can say with confidence that if you have not changed the systems around you, the friends around you, the habits around you, the patterns you developed, there's a high chance you will repeat your past. If you remember from part one, we worked our way through the process of why we act the way we do, why we feel the way we do, why we get the results that we do. I walked this, through this with you last week that out of our mind arise the voices and out of our voices create the emotions and the emotions create our actions and our actions create our results. If you don't like your results, take a look at your actions. If you don't like your actions, take a look at the emotions. If you don't like your emotions, take a look at the voices you're hearing. And if the voices need change, it's because your brain, your mind, the way you think and the patterns of thought need to be changed. If your mind is not renewed, you will continue to hear the same voices, which will continue to produce the same tired emotions, and you will end up doing the same thing and get the same results. You cannot overhaul the results of your life unless you overhaul your mind. 
So here's the million dollar question. Will I repeat my past? And here's the answer. It depends. That's the truth. I cannot sit here and tell you, you won't do what you did before because I don't know. It depends. Depends on what? It depends on whether you've changed the systems around you. Like what? Here are a few. Your friend system. You've heard us say before, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Your friend system. Your spiritual system. Your habit system. Your thinking system. If your friends remain the same, your spiritual life remains the same, you have the same habits, you think the same, then there's a super high chance that you will repeat the same behaviors. It's just a matter of time. But if you have better friends, a growing inner spiritual life, form new and better habits, you think wiser, then no, I doubt seriously you'll repeat your past. But whether you do or you don't, it's up to you. I can't promise that you won't. It's up to you. Here's the third lie. Third lie. I can't repair my past. Well, no, you can't return to your past and fix everything you did wrong. That's true. Opportunities you missed are gone. People you hurt may never trust you again. Failed relationships may never be restored, especially if the person has moved on or has passed on. Absolutely, those things are true. But there are a few things you can work through to help repair or help make the most of your past and make kind of a, a, a more of a beautiful thing out of a mess, okay? So let me give you a few thoughts on that. First of all, you can seek forgiveness. Now, we just went through a whole important part about seeking forgiveness of God, but it's possible that you've actually never started with that. You've never actually gone to God and say, God, I've, I've broken your laws. I've broken the laws of humanity. I've, I've hurt people. I've, I've lied. I've cheated. Whatever it is, your list. When you take an honest assessment, so you've got to seek forgiveness, I mean, first of all, from God. You've got to take an honest assessment of your past, of the things you did wrong, of the people you might have hurt, the attitudes you had. When you take that honest assessment, you realize that although you've hurt others and you've violated the trust of others, ultimately you sinned against God. And that's where you need to start. Yes, you sinned against others, and we're gonna talk about that next. But beyond that, you sinned against God. Let me give you an incredible illustration of that. After King David, the leader of Israel, committed adultery and then murder to cover up his tracks. So those of you who think, you know, that the Bible's just filled with a whole bunch of people who did, you know, goody-goody stuff and, you know, God blessed them because they were so good. No, no, no. It's filled with murder, lying, cheating, everything you can think of. It's, It's all through Scripture. It's a roadmap of our human mess, teaching us what it means to be redeemed and forgiven and restored. It's all there. So after David has this incredible, horrible, adulterous affair, a baby is actually born as a result of that. He kills the wife's, the, the, the woman he has an affair with. He kills her, has her husband killed to cover up his tracks. Finally, David is, he comes to the end of himself. He comes to God and he writes out of his anguish, Psalm 51, which is one of the most famous 
Psalms. This is the first few verses. This is David writing to God, saying to God, have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings. Let me just pause. It is possible that you're here this morning, you're watching online, and your life is filled with a whole bunch of mess. I mean, you've screwed up. You, you flipped upside down. You have done some horrible things. You feel guilty. You feel the weight of that, and you don't know what to say to God. Here's a great prayer. Start right here. David says, have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Because I know my wrongdoings, my sin is always right in front of me. I've sinned against you, you alone. Because ultimately, that's the truth. We've sinned against God. I've committed evil in your sight. That's why you are justified when you render your verdict completely correct when you issue your judgment. That's a great prayer right there to start. So you need to begin to repair your past. First thing is you seek forgiveness. And the first person you go to is God. But there's also another part of that, and that's you seek forgiveness from others. Now, it isn't enough to merely seek forgiveness from God because we live in a world of humans. Humans who get wounded and hurt and violated by our actions, and we are wounded and hurt and violated by their actions. So after seeking forgiveness from God, we might need to step out and seek the forgiveness from those that we have sinned against and do the best we can to make it right. Why? Because the heart of life is relationships. The heart of life, I mean, everything, when you think about it, it's a web of relationships. That's it. Every law, every command, every sin, every broken boundary, every established rule in Scripture was about nurturing, feeding, building, and never destroying relationships. Relationships trump everything else. That is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at, leave your gift at the altar and go. What does he say? First, make things right with your brother or sister. Then come back and offer your gift. What does that tell us? Relationships are so important. God says, stop singing, stop worshiping, stop listening to more sermons, stop everything you do at church. So do the best you can to seek forgiveness from those you've wounded and that you've hurt. Don't skip that part. It's one of the reasons why the residual effects of your past continue to haunt you because you're carrying it in your psyche. You're carrying it in your mind. You're carrying it around with you because you've never made it right and you know that person you wounded, that person you lied about, that person you destroyed is out there. And it bothers you because you're made, you're wired, you're designed by God to have vertical harmony and horizontal harmony. And if you don't have harmony here, you don't feel good. If you don't have harmony here, you don't feel good. That's, That's why, why he was, he was asked, asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, love people. Love God, love people. It's all connected. All right?
So you seek forgiveness from God, from others. Number two, make restitution. There may be people you hurt or lied about or broke their trust or possibly stolen from, and you could do your best to make it right with them. They might accept it, they might not. But at least you tried. At least you showed you're different. At least you showed that you're not the same as your past. And attempting to make it right, attempting to, 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 to restore what was broken to the best of your ability can help bring harmony to your mind, to your heart, to your soul. You see, when this truth, when truth, I should say, instead of lies, take up residence in your soul, when love instead of hate, when hope instead of despair, when light instead of darkness become most important to you, then you wanna make things right with people. It bothers you to know that you've hurt others and you've never attempted anything to restore it. I wanna show you this incredible story from Luke chapter 19. Let me just read this to you. Luke 19, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. All tax collectors are rich, right, Maggie? Yeah. He was trying to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. (laughs) That's a great line. Happy to welcome Jesus. I wonder if, you know, when Jesus comes in and begins to change us, how happy are we that we invited him in after he's been there a while? Happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Lord, look, watch this. I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. And Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. What a great passage. What did Jesus notice within Zacchaeus that led him to conclude salvation has come to you today? It was Zacchaeus' willingness to make things right with others. If I've cheated someone, I'm gonna go back and repay them. Today, now I know today, salvation has come to you because you're willing to do whatever you gotta do to make it right with people, okay? Make restitution. The last thing you can do is share what you've learned. Share what I've learned. One of the best definitions of wisdom, I love this, this, this definition. Practical knowledge gained through experience, reflection, and understanding of life. What is wisdom? It is practical knowledge gained through experience, reflection, and understanding of life. My guess is there are many of you who have gained some solid wisdom in your life. Is it not true that some of you, if you could sit down with the 21-year-old you, you would shake that person? If you could sit down with a 16-year-old you, oh, the things you could tell him or her. Why? What's the difference? 
You've got wisdom today. You've gained knowledge. You've gained wisdom. You have an understanding of life today that you didn't have then. You've reflected on life. You've watched life unfold. You're not as naive as you used to be. You're not as silly as you used to be. You don't want the same things. You don't care about some of the same things. You care about other things that you didn't care about then. When you collect the wisdom and you give it to someone who needs it, someone who might be getting ready to make some of the dumb mistakes you made, and you prevent them from doing so, when you do that, you repair your past in some small way. 2 Corinthians 1 He's the one who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort other people who are in the very kind of trouble. We offer the same comfort that we ourselves received of God. Take what you've learned and pass it on. So there are things you can do. Do not allow your past to sit and sour and continue to make you sick. Don't do that. Do something. Do something. Don't allow the ripple effects of your past to keep washing over you and you do nothing about it. Don't just come to church hopeful for a fix today to make you feel better about all the things that have happened in your past. You can't change your past. But you can stop allowing your past to continue to change you. You can do something about it and turn down the volume of those voices screaming at you. Now you need to know this, big chunk of wisdom I'm gonna give you, and then we're gonna close. You need to know this about your past. There is a before and an after, all right? Life before whatever you did and life after whatever you did. No, life will never return to what it was before. That's impossible. So you have to mourn what was, accept what is, and move toward what will be. Let's look at a very difficult past mistake, a marital affair, let's say. That's one of those things that just sends shock waves into families and people. Here's what I want you to see. There is a before, the affair marriage, and there's an after the affair marriage. There's a BA marriage and an AA marriage. The marriage you experienced before the affair is not the same one you experience after the affair. During therapy, it's one of the most challenging realities for people to accept. Why can't we go back to what was? Because what was is dead. What was was murdered. And you will never resurrect it. So you got to mourn what was, accept what is, and work toward what will be. See, you're not a victim of your past. There are things you can do to escape the negative vortex. So how do I turn down the voices from my past? Seek forgiveness from God and from others. Make restitution where possible and share what you've learned to stop other people from making some of the same sinful choices and mistakes you did.
Let's pray. Father, wrestling through our past is a tough thing. It is hard. Some of us have done some really stupid things in our past. And sometimes it's like the tsunami I talked about. It, even though it happened a long time ago and even though it happened a long ways from where we are now, the shock waves still wash over us. We still feel it. But Father, I pray that every single person in this room, everybody watching online can take all their past and just pile it up, drop it at your feet and say, God, here it is. As ugly as it might be, here it is. And we might have to use Psalm 51 as a guide to just pray our way through it, get up and do the best we can to go find people we've hurt and wounded, ask them for forgiveness. They may or may not forgive. Seek restitution where we can. Show them that we're different and we've never gonna be the same. And then finally, take all the wisdom that we've gained and deposit it into other people so at least our past is no longer just haunting us. Our past is teaching us and is teaching other people as well. Thank you for your truth today. And may this truth change us and set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A good message just challenging us on how to come face to face with our past. Obviously, every one of us has a past and things we regret. It's great to be able to think through practically how do we make those restorations and, and changes in our lives to not make the same mistake. Uh, I want to give you a couple of announcements before we let you go today and enjoy the rest of your day. Number one is if you're new here, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. You can fill out a physical connect card, which is the white card in your seat back pocket in front of you, or you can go to fplive.org slash connect and do a virtual one. Regardless, if you fill it out virtually or here in person, we'd love for you to drop it off at the new here area over there by the main lobby doors. We have a gift for you. And if you have kids and you don't have time to go to the main lobby, your gift is on the table at the end of the hallway. Um, but again, whether you're new or you've been coming for a while, the new here area is a great place to get answers to your questions about what we do, when we're doing it, why we do the things we do, just to know for us park a little bit better and get to know you a little bit better. Secondly is tonight uh, for our student ministry that I lead, we have our Fear Factor night, uh, February 18th. Tonight I have about 400 live worms in the Kidventure kitchen right now, so um, I guess we'll figure out what I'm going to do with those later tonight. But hey, if you have a 6th through 12th grader and you'd love for them to come out and have some fun, or uh, every kid does not have to participate so they can come and just laugh at their friends if they want, uh, but we have Fear Factor tonight at uh, 5 p.m., so we'd love to have your student join us. Thirdly is this Wednesday, our Bible Blueprint uh, class is kicking off. I lead this class. I did it in the fall. We had about 20-some people come. We have about 10 people registered now. This is your last uh, Sunday to register. It's a simple six-Wednesday uh, class. We do six straight Wednesdays, and at the end of it, I've, I've walked through some of the stuff that I've learned over my eight years in ministry and six years in graduate school, whatever it is, and I basically share it with you for free. So if you're in that place where you're like, I don't know how to read this thing. I don't even understand half the stuff it says, but I want to learn, this is your opportunity to come and learn some resources, tools, tips on how you can understand the Bible on your own. So if you're interested in that, you can sign up. You can go to the New Here area. There's a sign-up sheet there. We start this Wednesday at 6.30, so please, this is your last Sunday to sign up if you want to join us. And then last but not least, in a couple Sundays, we have our baptism that we'll be doing here in the main auditorium. So we're excited to be baptizing some people. We have two of my students signed up and another person signed up as well. I want to encourage and also challenge you. If you have not been baptized since you became a Christian, your next step in your faith journey is to be baptized. Some of you maybe got baptized when you were a kid, but you really didn't know why you got baptized. Your mom just told you to. 
ever since you became a Christian, if you have not been baptized, your next step, Jesus says, is to be baptized. We would love to talk to you more about why we do it that way, why we do it the way we do, and how you can become a part of getting baptized in a couple weeks here at Forest Park. We'd love for your family and friends to come and celebrate you as you take your next step in faith. You can register by going to fplive.org slash baptism or just text baptism to that number on the screen. Regardless, we'd love to see you be baptized if you have not taken that step in your faith yet. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday.